1: The secret of Christian happiness is found in the way a believer
0: thinks. The Bible says Christians are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Today, on A New Beginning, Pastor Greg Laurie points out that we need to let God's thoughts be our thoughts.
1: You fill your mind with the truth of God. It changes your outlook. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, positive thinking or possibility thinking I'm talking about having the mind of Christ. This is the day when the lost are found.
0: Kids' books is called Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. It's now a movie too. How's that for a title? Does the Lord ever have a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day? Wouldn't think so. Could we say the same thing? How can we begin to let God's thoughts permeate ours? That's one of the things that we'll discuss today here on A New Beginning, as Pastor Greg presents the first message in a series called Happiness, based on Paul's words in Philippians.
1: The title of my message is Happiness, Where to Find It, Philippians chapter 1. And that is one of the main themes running through the book of Philippians. Yet, the fact of the matter is that circumstantially the Apostle Paul, the author of this book, had nothing to be happy about. He had nothing outwardly to rejoice about. He didn't write this from some ivory tower He was writing this from a prison cell in Rome. And you know what Paul knew a lot about? Personal hardship and discomfort. And yet he's brimming with joy and he's talking about happiness. He's chained to a Roman guard day and night. His case was coming up shortly but Paul didn't know how it would turn out. He might be acquitted. He might be beheaded. Uh, He originally wanted to preach in Rome and he ends up here as a prisoner. And if this isn't bad enough, Many of the believers were against him. They were spreading lies about the great apostle. So he was under the most miserable circumstances imaginable. And yet here he is rejoicing. At least 19 times in these four chapters, Paul mentions joy, rejoicing, or gladness. You might write these notations down. When he first thought of the Philippian believers, it brought a smile to his face. And in the Philippians 1, 3 to 4, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in prayer, making request for you all with joy. So Paul was southern. Make request for y'all with joy. <laughs> so when he would think about the believers there, it would bring a smile to his face when he encouraged them to work together as Christians, he got joyful thinking about it. In Philippians 2, he says, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, or affection and mercy, fulfill my joy and be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. So Paul said, man, that, that makes me happy. When we can work together, that brings me joy. You know, I'm thrilled at a crusade when I see people come forward but I'm equally as thrilled when I see all y'all out there helping to get the job done. And I look down and I recognize this usher and I know this counselor and this person working in security and this other person helping tear down equipment or build the stage. And, and I look at all these folks and I think they're all here serving the Lord and, and serving the Lord together. And that is a wonderful thing. Listen to this. Even when he thought of his potential death, there was still this happiness and joy. Because Paul writes in Philippians 121, for me to live is Christ." And to die is gain. If I live in the flesh, this will mean more fruit for my labor. And what I'll choose, I can't tell. But I'm hard pressed between the two. Having the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is needful for you. And being confident of this, I'll remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. But here's the bottom line of Paul's happiness. It's found in Philippians 4.4 4, when he says rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. That's the key. It's rejoicing in the Lord. It's not rejoicing in your condition or rejoicing in your circumstances or rejoicing in your current emotional state or rejoicing in something else. It's rejoice in the Lord. Now having established this, A couple of questions come to mind. Number one, how could Paul be so positive, so happy, so jubilant in such adverse circumstances? And number two, is this something I can experience today? And if so, how? Let me answer the second question first. Yes, you can experience this joy, but you must meet the criteria that is laid out in this book. And the secret to happiness is found in another word that is often repeated in the book of Philippians, and it is the word mind, M-I-N-D, mind. Paul uses the word mind 10 times. He uses the word think five times. At the times he uses the word remember, and that's 16 references to the mind. In other words, the secret of Christian happiness is found in the way a believer thinks. Notice I did not say the secret of Christian happiness is found in the way a believer feels. No, the way you think. You learn to think, right. You learn to think biblically. You fill your mind with the truth of God. It changes your outlook. Now, I'm not talking about you know, positive thinking or possibility thinking. I'm talking about having a mind that is filled with God's truth. I'm talking about having the mind of Christ. And Paul writes, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So it comes down to the way that you think. And Paul filled his mind with God's truth. And he shows us how to live happily and in harmony with other people. And you know, we're a very divided people in America right now. You've probably noticed that. I mean, I don't know that we've ever been more divided. Or if we have been, I don't know that it was much worse than it is today. This is just incredible how many divisions there are. And uh, Paul's telling us how to come together. Those barriers can be overcome in Jesus Christ as we love and pray and serve the Lord together. And the book of Philippians shows us how. But first, we must learn how to think biblically. Well,
0: thanks for joining us for a new beginning today, as Pastor Greg Laurie is bringing us some good encouragement for all believe in the Lord, but are what you might call believers under construction. It's a message called happiness from the book of Philippians. Let's continue.
1: Philippians 1, we're going to read verses 1 to 6. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it under the day of Jesus Christ. We'll stop there. Let's start with verse one. To the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. You know it's very easy when we read epistles to sort of skip over the opening statements as though they have no relevance to us. But we don't want to do that because really, Paul gives us the door to the life of happiness. You must be one of the saints. So if you want to be happy, be a saint. Oh, well that leads me out. I'm not Mother Teresa, you know. I'm, I'm a sinner. Yeah, I know that. We're all sinners. But you have to understand what the word saint means. It's an interchangeable word with the word believer. How many of you are believers in Jesus Christ? Raise your hand up. I herefore saint, all of you. See, but I didn't even need to do that. You're already saints. If you're a believer, you're a saint. If you're a saint, you're a believer. In fact, uh, we read when the Lord told Ananias to go pray for the newly converted Saul of Tarsus later to become the apostle Paul, Ananias responded, Lord, I've heard how much harm this man did to your saints in Jerusalem. Remember, Paul would chase down Christians and arrest them and sometimes even murder them. He presided over the death of the first martyr of the church, Stephen. But the reference is to the saints. So if you are in Christ Jesus, you are a saint. But notice it is a saint in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Believers are not saints because they are perfect. Believers are saints because they are in Christ. And Jesus imputes His righteousness to them as a result. Listen to me. I am a righteous man. Well I don't know Greg. I have seen you drive. Yeah. Listen, I'm not righteous because of what I do. I'm righteous because of what he has done for me, and he's put his righteousness into my spiritual bank account, so to speak. That's called being justified. I'm positionally righteous. Now, living it out, that's another story. That's where the word sanctification comes in. You ever heard that word? Sanctification is living out justification. And those are sort of words that we may not understand, but justified is being made right with God. I'm in a right standing with God. But sanctification is living that out day to day in a practical way. But I am righteous and I am a saint. Now you don't have to call me Saint Gregory if you don't want to, but uh, <laughs> I might call you saint something. And why am I a saint? Because I'm in Christ. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is an altogether different kind of person. Old things have passed away. Everything becomes fresh and new. So I bring this up for this reason. The book of Philippians, to the point, the rest of the New Testament, has nothing to say to the world that does not believe in Jesus Christ. Here's what God says to the world repent and believe in Jesus. That's our message to the world. Come to Jesus. And so when people say, oh, I found the Bible is just the greatest self-help book ever written and it tells you how to have a better marriage and how to have a happier life. No, that's actually not accurate because the Bible is not given to non-believers to take the principles and try to live by them. No, the Bible is given to God's people. It's come to show us we need God. The point of entry is your admission of your sin and your need for God and then it results in you putting your faith in Christ and 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us what the Bible's for. It's here to teach us what is true, to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. So this is who it is written to, to saints. So you must be a saint or another way to put it, you must be a believer. So who in particular is Paul offering these principles of happiness to? He's offering to those who have believed in Jesus. Now, I want you to notice a wonderful promise that is given to the saint. Verse 6 He who has begun a good work in you will complete it under the day of Jesus Christ. God always finishes what he begins, Greg does not always finish what he begins. Greg starts projects and doesn't always finish projects. Maybe you're the same way. But God always completes what he has started. With man you have unfinished books, unfinished songs, unfinished buildings. And why? Well maybe it's a lack of resources or power. But more often than not it's just a lack of desire. You lose interest in it. You have marriages falling apart. Well I just lost interest in it. You have something else falling apart. Why, I just didn't care anymore. God always finishes what He starts because God has unlimited resources. He has unlimited power. And listen to this. He has unlimited interest in you. See, He loves you. And He sees the, the finished work. He sees the finished painting. He sees the finished you. He sees the ultimate you. Who you will become one day, you just see the flaws. You just see the shortcomings. You ever look in one of those magnify mirrors? Oh, I hate those. They're just horrible. Because they expose your flaws and they magnify your flaws, right? But God sees your flaws. He he knows everything about you. He knows your flaws better than you know your flaws, trust me. But He also sees your potential. And He sees His plan. And he sees the end game that he has for each of you. He's going to bring what he started in your life to completion. Hebrews 12 says, we are to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. So I have good news. You're going to make it. You're going to make it to the end. Not good news. No. Because maybe you say, oh, this world's such a horrible place and the devil's so powerful. I might just fall away. Well, Really? Do you want to fall away? Well, no. Do you want to continue on as a follower of Jesus? Well, yes. Well, then you will. Because as we read, it is God that works in us both to will and do of His good pleasure. God wants to do it. If you want to do it, friend, we have a game plan. Now, if you're sabotaging what God is doing, if you're resisting what God is doing, if you're fighting with God, even then He won't give up on you. Even then He will patiently bring you along. But if you determine to rebel against His plan, well, yeah, you you can end it. But that's not God's fault. That's your fault. But listen, the bottom line is, you're gonna make it if you want to make it. If you're willing and desiring to go forward as a Christian, then you will. It is God that works in you.
0: Pastor Greg Laurie pointing out how God will continue his work in us until it's completed. Next time, some even more good news as Pastor Greg continues his happiness series with some more insights on where we can find real, lasting happiness. The kind of happiness that only the Lord can provide. I hope you can join us same time on Monday. In the meantime, have a great weekend. For a copy of Pastor Greg's full message, get in touch with Vision Christian Store. Search happiness, where to find it? At visionstore.org.au or call one 800 0 Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.